Life doesn't have to be ugly. Look at the birds out there. Listen to their call. Hooey? Hooey? This is the story of Beverly Sutphin. Scramble eggs, anybody? A devoted mother. I'm so happy I could chip. You know how I hate the brown word. A loving wife. You think the kids are awake? We could be very quiet. I'm ready. Honey, you're hot tonight. Suspected murderer. Oh, kids, are you doing your homework? How did America's number one mom turn into one of America's most wanted? Is she really guilty? Are you a serial killer? Chip, the only serial I know anything about is Rice Krispies. Is she the only one with a motive? Believe that damn litter bugger. Give her a happy face. Or is there someone else? I'm stood up. I'll kill that jerk. With an axe to grind. Oh. You'll never get a boyfriend. Meanwhile, this small Baltimore suburb Please. keeps getting smaller and smaller. It's been a crazy day, hasn't it? Savoy Pictures asks the burning question Is your wife mental? Is Beverly Sutphin just a sweet suburban housewife? what it is about today, but I feel great. Cookie? Or is she... Serial Mom? Cool. Is she a band? Kathleen Turner, Sam Waterston, and Ricky Lake. Serial Mom. Every woman wants to be wanted. Just not for Murder One. Beverly, I've read all about this. Is it menopause? Welcome back to the show, everybody. Welcome back. Oh, goodness. I love John Waters. Movies. We've returned to John Waters. It's been yes. almost a year since Brian came on for Hairspray. Right. And it's about damn time we got back to some John Waters. Yes, indeed. We love John Waters in this house. Listeners, my name is Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the, the movies, movies that, that made us gay. gay. Yes, episode 95. We're getting there. If you can believe episode it. Episode 100's coming up. Oh, wow. Everything is already on the books for episode 100. Yes, I even indeed. have the guests lined up. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, this movie uh, is a doozy as always. Scott, why don't you talk a little bit about what we watch and introduce our wonderful guests. Of course. We had our friend Ricky Diaz over... To watch Serial Mom, directed by John Waters, released April 13th, 1994. Awesome. Welcome to the show. Hi. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. I've been introduced to this podcast by a friend of mine that I work with. Um, she's actually friends with Mike Toscano, who did the Sleepaway Camp. We love Mike Toscano. Uh, yeah. And uh, she got me onto it in the summer, started listening to, I think the first one I listened to. Two was Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter Said, which another classic, yes. amazing movie. Yes, indeed. Um, so, yeah, I think I figured I'd just take a stab at it, you know, and I love that. You're, listen to all you're the a part of our Georgia <laughs> group. We have like a whole niche of listeners from Georgia. I <laughs> love our, it. Our Atlanta crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, welcome yeah. to the show. This was, uh, this was a great choice. I love this movie. Yeah. I love John Waters. And we mentioned it before we started recording, but Scott and I rewatched this movie this morning just to get a refresher on it, and it was so fun. Yeah, it was just like it so holds, much fun. It to holds watch. up really well. Yeah. Oh, it does. It's like one of those movies that 
I mean, it's kind of like any movie that you you know that y'all have reviewed. It's like if it if it's on TV, I'm stopping to watch it, or I'm recording it to watch it later. I'm yeah. hunting it down anywhere I can to watch it. Yeah, definitely. So, what was your introduction to John Waters? Like, what's your history um, with this movie, and also John Waters? So, I don't remember if I've seen this movie first or if I saw Crybaby first, but mm-hmm. I never. Growing up, I was. I'm the youngest of four siblings and all. So, you know, I was watching movies that I probably shouldn't have been watching. And, you know, this is one of those movies when you have older siblings that you go to Blockbuster on a Friday night and they're like, yeah, let's rent this movie. I mean, again, the list of movies that y'all have reviewed are movies that I've seen growing up. So, like, I saw Cruel Intentions when I was seven years old. (laughs) I saw Drop Dead Gorgeous when I was like eight. Serial Mom is one of those movies that I definitely shouldn't have been watching. I mean, I think my twisted sense of humor comes from seeing all these movies like early on in life yeah um but i think that was my first introduction was you know just a friday night watching it with my sister Mm -hmm. not realizing all like what the movie was really based on just enjoying it um and then now as like an adult watching it again and i'm like i don't know how i got away with watching any of these movies growing (laughs) up but you know it is what it is yeah totally i mean that's like part of the original like seed of the idea of this show too is these movies that we had no business watching Mm -hmm. they were not made for like little gay boys but we just fell in love with them and you know john waters I i think i talked about this in um the hairspray episode but John Waters movies were so subversive, his early stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. we as kids got introduced because like Hairspray is almost, almost feels like a kid's movie. It's a family movie. Yeah. It's a, it feels when like it, a family movie. At, like yeah. it's hard. Yeah. It's movies that you can definitely watch with like your family and like mm-hmm. it's not going to be looked at as bad. But if you're watching Serial Mom, like your mom is probably going to be like, why are we watching this? Yes. You should not be watching <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And then, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, like when my older sister would put on Hairspray and Crybaby. I was like, these are fun. These have like wacky comedy in them, almost like a airplane style humor. It's a little off the wall. So I like it. And then I discovered that John Waters has this other catalog of movies from prior Mm -hmm. to Hairspray. And when I found those, I was just like, Oh my good. These are for (laughs) grownups. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember I think that I first watched this movie when I was working at the video store in my mm-hmm. hometown. And it's also just one of those movies that I always knew when looking at the video box when I was young that this movie is not for children. So I don't <laughs> yeah. think I watched this until I was probably 17 years old. But I was familiar <laughs> with John Waters just because I feel like growing up and really loving film, you would oh, I would always read about John Waters whenever, descri- whenever describing a movie or something. Whenever I would be reading like Premiere magazine, mm-hmm. and I think that the first John Waters movie I ever got my hands on, it would have had to have been Cecil B. Demented. Oh wow! So that was released around the year two thousand, and yeah. I think that was my introduction. That I rented it uh, by myself at the video store and just watching it in my dad's basement. Yeah, as you should watch any like John, John Waters, Waters movie <laughs> is sneaking it from your parents. In their basement. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. that was my introduction to John Waters. And then I think that I probably found Ciro Mom. I don't think that I got to his later, kind of his earlier movies until mm-hmm. I was in my late 20s. Right. That I really didn't watch Female Troubles, Pink Flamingos. But yeah, he's a treasure. I love John Waters. Oh, yeah. 
And it's funny because I think the only handful of John Waters movies I've ever seen have been like Zero Mom, Hairspray, and Crybaby. Mm-hmm. So like I feel like I have to now break out of that and see everything else to truly understand. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. growing up, you do your own research on everything. But I mean, I think you have to definitely expand a little bit more. Especially yeah. for this movie. It's a good introduction for John Waters for young people in mm-hmm. in their like their teenage years renting it at the video store. It's a good introduction to John Waters that it's the most reeled in of his movies like it mm-hmm. kind of goes off the rails but i mean for john <laughs> waters this is very restrained storytelling yeah. especially just kind of how it wraps up and i think that's what was one of probably john waters's big challenges when making this movie and working with like universal is that i have to rein this in with like a major movie star and i think it works out oh yeah yeah kathleen turner is so good so good in this she fits right into his John Waters universe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, her in anything is amazing, but, like, just seeing her in this role, it's like he specifically wrote this role for her, mm-hmm. and she did it so well. And it's like you, you it's trying to imagine anybody else playing that role, and it's like there's there's no way. Yeah. Um, I also love that, you know, John Waters has his stable of kind of, like, weirdos mm-hmm. that he uses in all of his movies. And, you know, he is constantly bringing in new people. Who is his returning weirdos in this movie? Patty Hearst. Uh, yeah, Patty Patty Hearst mm-hmm. for one, uh, Mink Stoll, who is Dottie Hinkle, which who we love. Oh yeah, <laughs> Tracy Lords. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I didn't even recognize Tracy Lords <laughs> just because I'm so used to Tracy Lords just sort of being a little tarted up that she's a little dressed <laughs> down in this movie. Well, she her look in Crybaby is so cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like the big like teased hair, and she's wearing these like cool as hell like animal print like pencil yeah, skirts and dresses. yeah and, like seeing her parents being like super 50s yeah. like conforming <laughs> yes. and then she's there just like i'm not gonna follow this in yes. any way i'm gonna live my own life <laughs> and it's funny you say that because i didn't even realize that she was in this movie but then now that mm-hmm. i think about it she is in this movie and you're right she's very tamed in this movie she still has like that sexy side of yeah. her and then one scene, but it's like, I would have never connected two and two together until you just mentioned that. Yeah. Well, I think, too, this is one of the only movies that kind of takes place in somewhat of a real, like, realistic yeah. kind of a world, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Everything else is so heightened. Even, like, Hairspray, even it's the 60s, but it's, like, this heightened version of that and um, Crybaby as well for the 50s. But this one is just John Waters take, the 90s. It's John Waters' take on suburbia. Yeah. Yeah, and she looks like just a '90s girlfriend that's gonna or girl that's gonna like s- steal your boyfriend from from underneath <laughs> you, just because you uh, you haven't lost that ten pounds yet. Oh, Ricky Lake, <laughs> oh, gotta love her. Yeah, she's super cute in this movie. I love the I love the the family dynamic. Mm-hmm. We'll 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 get into to all that. I just want to touch on really quickly if people aren't familiar with the particulars of how John Waters casts these kooky people in his movies going back to the early days they were just his friends that he put in his movies and they were all a bunch of like art fags and like you know weirdos and (laughs) kooky queer people that he hung out with and decided to kind of make their own version of like the andy warhol like superstars almost and you know he turned divine into this like this drag superstar and edith massey kind of having this huge following after she would be in, in all of his early movies yes and so what he did in his 80s movies when he became a little bit more mainstream he still brought in people that 
that had a little bit of a subversive background. Tracy Lords became famous because she was uh, a porn star, but it later turned out that she was underage when she shot most of her movies. And it was a huge scandal. You know, she was never going to get work again. And then John Waters kind of scooped her up and was like, hey, be in my movies, man. You'll fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a misfit. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, kind of the same with, with Patty Hearst. She has the, you know, she was an heiress. She was the kidnapping. She's brainwashed by these people. The photos of her, like, robbing the bank. All this stuff. It's just crazy. And, you know. She's been in almost all of his movies since Hairspray, practically. Yeah, pretty much. She's like a lucky charm for him. I don't know if she's in A Dirty Shame, but she probably is somewhere. Yeah. And so he just populates these movies with these kooky people, these weirdos. Ricky Lake was an overweight, you know, girl from nowhere. She, she just showed up to the dance audition. She wasn't a, a yep. star or anything. And she became the ingenue like star of this movie and she has a huge career because of it and you know he's brought her back for all these things so just kind of giving people a chance that wouldn't normally get a chance in hollywood and um you know i guess you might even be able to say the same for somebody like kathleen turner because in the 90s being an actress of a certain age i mean i guess if you weren't susan sarandon she had sort of aged out of the like the body heat roles of the 80s romancing the stone yeah and yeah it's very clever casting. I was reading that, like, what he really liked about Kathleen Turner when reading the script is that she had no notes of, like, well, you're going to pull some of this back. Right. And I think that when they brought the script to other actresses, they kind of wanted subtle changes to the script. Right. That, like, well, you should just do it like this. And Kathleen Turner had no notes. <laughs> That's and awesome. she just sort of surrendered herself to this movie. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's cool. I like that. Um, so, so it starts off. Uh, it's it's set in Baltimore, like all of his all of his movies, and uh, it starts off with the Sutphin family. And uh, so we got Chip, played by the very cute Matthew Lillard. Yes, who is still in high school in this movie. It is nineteen ninety. Oh, he'll be playing high school Four. for another good three <laughs> years. years. <laughs> Although, I have to say, Matthew Lillard is one of those people that even at the time, I remember being a teenager and seeing him and being like, you know, he's really old. He's like 25. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. You know? <laughs> he's probably one of the only, one of many actors in Hollywood that have probably aged, like, really well because it's like yeah you look at him now and it's like you still look good yeah he has kind of a daddy thing going on now oh yeah <laughs> but Probably yeah all of a daddy yeah <laughs> and but i specifically remember at the time thinking Wow, he looks really good for how old he and he, he like I said he was probably 25 and here I am thinking how ancient he was but <laughs> but just like wow, he looks amazing for his age. Um yeah, so he is okay, so he's the son chip, he's in high school, he works at the video store and he and his friends are obsessed with horror movies but not just horror movies like you know your your everyday kid is obsessed with horror movies. He's obsessed with like the gross out blood feast italian you know gross out horror movies 1950s 60s like shock value horror movies which i mean we all love a good horror movie (laughs) yeah i mean even for the time like that would have been pretty subversive oh i mean stuff like that is cool to like now but you didn't really see a teenager in movies obsessed with stuff like that yeah not with like Mm -hmm. uh yeah 
uh, Argento and all, mm-hmm. all that weird stuff. Um, Ricky Lake plays the daughter. Her name Misty. is Misty. Misty. I like Misty's character note that she goes and sells kitsch at the flea market. I yeah. love that. That's also very John Waters. <laughs> like when he's introduced in the Simpsons episode, he's introduced at sort of a kitsch store in the mall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the Pee Wee Herman doll, just yeah. very John Waters. Well, she had the first thing she has that she's ready to to sell is a Village People record yeah. vinyl album, which I love that. And uh, and she doesn't call it the they don't call it a flea market; they call it the swap meet. Sure, which I love. <laughs> it's a swap it's more meet. high class for yeah. the upper echelon of <laughs> Baltimore. That's also right. very like East LA. You're going to the swap meet. <laughs> totally. That's that's my kind of yeah. We never went to no flea market. We went to the swap meet. Um, so the dad is uh, Sam Waterston. He's a dentist. Love Sam Waterston in this movie. Yes. Also, just very cleverly cast because there's something just not threatening about Sam Waterston. He's wholesome. You He's know, so wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> I He's think like he... the quintessential like everybody's dad. Yeah. That you could find in a suburb, pretty yes. much. I feel like if Law and Order hadn't already started, it might just be starting like the next year, but it might have started by now at this point in the 90s because Law and Order has been on since like Jesus was a boy. Like that <laughs> show is forever. And he was on in those early seasons and you just, you just trust him. And finally, we have Kathleen Turner as Beverly Sutphin, the serial mom. But I love that in the credits, she's just credited as mom. Yeah. In the closing credits, they're mom and dad. So I don't remember the dad's name. It just says dad. And I'm <laughs> but um, Beverly is a, a little uptight. She's kind of like your prototype television mom. Right. Well, they're doing kind of like a – they're portraying the – the house and even like her wardrobe is almost like a like a 50s sitcom-ish kind of a mm-hmm. character when you know the kids are very modern kids you know working oh, no, when store. she goes to the swap meet like she has like her active wear that she goes out in she has like her nice like button-down shirt and her pants yeah that's true yeah mm-hmm. it's like high-waisted shorts and like a tank top that's buttoned up and like cut off arms yeah and- She's just very hip for yeah. you know the time. Yeah, hip nineties. But mom. she she definitely. I mean, there's a obviously that we'll get to. Um, but there's a part in the movie where they basically compare them to the Cleaver family, right? And it's like that's true because it's like, I mean, think about it. It's like any person that commits a crime that she does. It's like that's the last person you would think about because she's like super clean cut, doesn't like her children chewing gum. She doesn't fit the profile of a serial killer. Yeah, no. And that's what makes it good. It's like she can fit in in plain day and still murder her neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) The first killing in this movie is this house fly that she is just obsessed with. Yeah. (laughs) And it does not end well for the house fly. (laughs) I love when they pull the fly swatter up and you see like the gross smushed fly there's like blood yeah there's like blood on like, it like i don't think <laughs> flies have like red blood <laughs> but it was just that that little bit of gore but yeah the you know she doesn't allow misty to, to chew gum in the house and it's very interesting because misty starts off talking about this boy and and, you know, oh, you know, I, he wants me to lose 10 pounds and, you know, uh, sugar-free gum and all this stuff. And Beverly's not like, oh, don't chew gum because it's got sugar. She's not, uh, you know, she's not on Misty about her weight. 
Mm-hmm. The yeah. boy is, the boyfriend is, and Misty's kind of like, well, I got to lose 10 pounds. But Beverly doesn't care about that. She's yeah, just she'll, like, well. She'll love her kids no matter what yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, it's very interesting she the commends, way. She commends her daughter for wanting to lose weight, but you should do it for yourself. For yourself. Yes. Yeah. And not for a boy to love you. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about Chip and his friends. He's got uh, his girlfriend. And uh, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with this girlfriend character of that. Like (laughs) she may or may not be a lesbian. I don't know. I think that it's just sort of like, it's a sort of weird subtext in the scene. She, she is introduced in that, like Dennis, the menace or like jug hat hat, jug hat hat. Yeah. I love it. Which is now just like hipster city. But yeah. Experiment. Yes. Like that's the natural progression. Like Uh, after if that, you know, if she was to go on in real life, is then she'll break up with Chip, and then you know that's the storyline. Totally, <laughs> Love that character, totally. But you know, they're sitting in Chip's room, they're watching these like disgusting movies. The friend uh, Scotty has like an old like 1950s like porno magazine, and what really ticks off Beverly is the fact that Scotty doesn't wear a seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not. <laughs> the weirdest things that she could be mad about yeah and it's funny because that's like that's just basically the whole movie it's not anything specific that's pissing her off about wanting to kill these people it's the smallest things like scotty not wearing his seatbelt and that's what that's what Mm -hmm. triggers her to want to like hunt him down (laughs) so the fact that he's like a porn addict and for some reason is jerking off to like a 1950s magazine that he found yeah (laughs) he doesn't wear a seatbelt and she keeps saying that during the entire movie yeah I love when she gives him back the magazine. She's like holding it. With yeah. Like her two fingers like, here you go. But you know, that. you would think that she's so like prim and proper that she'd be like, not in my house. Mm-hmm. Like don't hang yeah. out with him anymore. But she's just like, you know, there not, don't wear there doesn't seatbelts. seem to be anything repressive about her no. with her family right. too. Like she doesn't seem to be like normally when you would see this character in a movie like this, mm-hmm. she would be sort of suffocating her family. Yeah. But it's not how it's done in this movie, which is very clever. Yeah. Um, so right off the bat, we get introduced to these police detectives that come to the door. Uh, with- I love that one of these police detectives, everyone is just eye-fucking him in this movie. Like, oh, Ricky Lake um- is just thinks he's super cute. <laughs> I think that name in that yeah. movie? Because it's like that scene and she's just like, hi, Officer Bird. <laughs> it's just like, meanwhile, I, I guess he's hot. I don't know. I, I, I guess he's cute. <laughs> I think he's handsome, and especially compared to the other one, I'm like, all right, he's like the younger one. He's he's got it yeah. going on. I, I'd be into I'd be into him. <laughs> but they show this, you know, it's not a ransom note, but it's just a, a letter with the magazine letters cut out. That what does it say? I'll get you, pussy face. Yeah, it's something just outrageous like that, and it's made in this like it literally looks like a kindergartner made it with yeah. the way that the letters are cut out and i mean well it's and like then, the, it's like the classic like, 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 like i want to see and she, this isn't for young children's yeah. eyes but then like your son is watching someone get their tongue ripped out like two scenes later yeah <laughs> it's like the classic uh serial killer ransom note yes and i love that hmm. she's just like well i've i've I, never even said the p word much less written it down <laughs> As if writing it down is worse than saying it out loud. Uh, pussy face. So it turns out that their neighbor, Dottie Hinkle, played, played by Mink Stoll, played by Mink Stoll, is getting obscene phone calls, and she's just, and you know Beverly's just like shocked and appalled. She just you know 
They can't. Well, they can't help the officers because they have no idea what's going. on. I love that Mink Stoll in John Waters movies either plays crazy or <laughs> the polar opposite of it. Yeah, she plays villain a lot in his mm-hmm. movies too. But okay, so she's Dottie <laughs> Hinkle in this movie. She's getting these obscene phone calls, and do they immediately cut to Dottie? And we kind of well, everybody leaves for the day. They all yeah, go to school so that's or where, work. Like Bertie and mm-hmm. Scotty show up, and she's like, "Hey, I got this PB Herman doll. Can you sell it at the?" Swap meat. The swap meat. <laughs> Flea market. The swap meat for me. And she's like, cool, yeah, I think I can get like 50 bucks for it. And then it cuts to the officers like comparing them to, you know, Beaver, Cle- like the mm-hmm. Cleaver family. And then it cuts to them to, you know, Beverly Sutphin up in her bedroom, like making these obscene phone calls to Dottie Hingle. <laughs> and <laughs> the way she deals with Dottie, it's just, it's like, it's so, it's really good, you know, the oh, way she is able to just push her buttons and get, you know, first she just calls her up and, you know, is straight up just like fucking with her. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Hello. Is this the cocksucker residence? God damn you. Stop calling here. Isn't this four, two, one, five pussy way. You Bitch. Now let me check the zip code. Two one two. Fuck you. <laughs> but then when she does the thing that she she hangs up the phone and calls back, and now she's pretending to be the the phone company. Didn't I just say fuck you? I beg your pardon. Who is this? Mrs. Wilson from the telephone company. I understand you are having problems with an obscene phone caller. Yes, I am. I'm sorry, Mrs. Wilson, but this is driving me crazy. I've had my number changed twice already. I'm a divorced woman. Please help me. What exactly does this sick individual say to you? I can't say the words out loud. I don't use bad language. Oh, well, I know it's difficult, but we need to know the exact words. I'll try. Cocksucker. That's what she calls me. Blizzardy, I build him out the fucking whore! God damn you! She does it in such like the weirdest accent ever, which yes. I guess would be like the equivalent to you know a southern draw, pretty much. But even, even though she's changing her voice up, it's still Kathleen Turner. Come on, let's be real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is Kathleen Turner's voice. That's like her, one of her whole deal. one of the most distinctive, yeah, sultry oh, yeah. voices in movie history. Um, but as this is going on, now we get the nosy neighbor, who I love this character. <laughs> God bless her. What is her name? Mary Jo Catlett. So that's Mary Jo Catlett, yes. Uh, Listeners, if you are not familiar with this character, Mary Jo Catlett um, has a prolific voiceover career, and she's actually the voice of, um, what is her name? Mrs. uh, She's the whale's mom on SpongeBob. Mrs. Puff? Mrs. Puff. Yeah. Yeah. Is she the voice of the... Of the wardrobe in Beauty and the Beast, or she, is that someone else? She played it on stage. Okay, sure. That's what I. That's why I know her from that. So, uh, Mary Jo Catlett is the is the neighbor. Rosemary Ackerman fully just walks into Beverly's mm-hmm. home unannounced. Just lets herself in. <laughs> that's the suburbs for you. Yeah. <laughs> She's just like Beverly, Beverly, and just like, well, you're not answering, so I'll just waltz in, trample through your house, and then she like does the whole like finger across like the table, yeah, like, mm, there's a little bit of dust, I might throw some shade at you, and then she like hears her upstairs, like, I'm sorry, but if I was close to someone, I would not trample through their house, no. and then if I heard them upstairs, like they're yelling, let alone walk up the stairs and up to yeah. her bedroom, <laughs> hell no, absolutely. 
The fact that she walked in is one thing. Yeah. Then she goes upstairs to the bedrooms is like, okay. And just kind of like walks into Beverly's bedroom right as she's, you know, getting off the phone. Mm-hmm. And almost catches her in the act. But Beverly kind of talks her way out of it, which I love. So her um, thing that ticks off Beverly is that she doesn't recycle. <laughs> Because you're a trash person if you were not recycling <laughs> in the early 90s. I love that. Yeah. I don't have room in my kitchen. <laughs> I love I love the relationship Beverly has with the garbage man. I think that's oh, so like funny. Friends. And just like oh my God. very specific to John Waters that, I mean, like Beverly, of course, knows her garbage men by name. And she goes out, gives them little booze. Little bottles of booze. Because that's just how cool she <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. And then I love the little interaction with the garbage men. She's like, she's like, look at her. She's not, she's not, um, you know, separating her, her recyclables. And she, and she's just like, I forgot what she says, but she's just like, ah, oh, can you believe it? And the one garbage man goes, I hate her. Yeah, I hate her. Good. I hate her. God, I'd kill her if I had the chance. I love that they're just like, yeah, she is a piece of shit. Like they're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, right there with Beverly. But the best part of that too is like right before that scene is she's just in her kitchen like separating her mm-hmm. recycling. Yep. She's listening to that song, has which her- has comes to be a theme during the yes. entire movie for her, yeah, which is yeah. great. I mean, after the movie, I watch it, or after I watch the movie, I listen to that song at least ten times in my car. <laughs> and she sees them pull up, but then it's like she also sees, you know, Rosemary not just throwing her trash away, mm-hmm. and she like goes to her basket to grab the scissors out to go murder her. But then it's like, <laughs> oh wait, my garbage men are here. Let me run out, yeah, and offer them a cool beverage, yep. just like a fifties housewife would. <laughs> and yeah, the other thing is, you would think too. That maybe in like another kind of a movie, you know, this character of Beverly would maybe think she was like above the garbage men or kind of yeah, look right. down on them or whatever. But no, she's just like they work for the city. This is, you know, this is like their job. She's, she's, yeah. lo- they're local heroes to Beverly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, it and it comes in handy for her later on too yep. because they help her out. And you know, when we get later on down the road, where I don't want to ruin it, yeah. but you know. <laughs> Yeah, and we should also mention that the neighbor, Rosemary, the reason she came to the house was to give Beverly, like, a little, you know, some, like, crafting... Some kid or something yeah, like some that. Yeah, with a, a big pair of, like, fabric scissors. Yeah. Yeah. In there. Yeah. Um, and that all comes to play, like, like later on down the line. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Beverly has to go to a PTA meeting, which, that's not, this isn't PTA, this is parent-teacher conferences, PTA yeah. is something else. I almost feel like the principal called her in just to, just to talk about Matthew Lillard, just well, to she, talk about Chip. She had on the on the refrigerator, like on the chalkboard, PTA, yeah, sure. and then he says too, like, "Thank you for coming to PTA." Okay. But the principal is pretty much just like, "Your son's a damn delinquent," you know. Watches yeah, too many horror movie. movies. Yeah. Yeah, him drawing this in class, and it's not—it's not even like titties or anything. Yeah, it's basically like a bloody knife, and that's what they're upset about. It's like a drawing of Dracula. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and then he makes like he insinuates like rude things about their like oh, yeah. parenting. So it's like, all right, mm-hmm. dude, you're like crossing some lines here with this kind of language, you know, dialogue or whatever. So. He, like, assumes that, like, they're alcoholics and, like, they're neglecting their kids and, yeah. like, maybe a weird uncle may have had a fascination <laughs> with Chip growing up. And it's like, 
okay like yeah that's kind of strange yeah i love i love these this line of questioning that he has for her and yeah so she's just shocked and appalled so uh you know this is really the first this is the first big like the first big kill afterwards as he's walking to his car and she's stalking him in her Mm -hmm. blue station wagon just waves at him <laughs> she like creeps up on him like a shark in water, yeah. and then he like turns around, and she, you know, throws a family you know, friendly <laughs> wave at him. If I was a teacher, I'd have been like, "Why are you still here? Our conference ended like yeah, two hours ago." Totally in this <laughs> like dead end parking lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're obsessed with the stoner. Oh yeah, the Standing stoner the witness. Side. We love her. Oh my god, she's amazing. I'm not going to lie. She kind of looks like my mom a little bit, like when she was younger. So like seeing her with the hair and everything, I'm like, wow, that is, that is literally my mother back in the eighties. Like, yeah, let's, let's rock it. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, so she, she mows down the teacher and then like to make matters almost worse as she's like driving away, he's like, his body's on the ground and gum falls right out of his mouth. Yep, and that was the thing that ticked her off. It wasn't because That's she right. said that Skip was fascinated with horror. It's because mm-hmm. he turned around, waved at her, and then put some gum in his mouth, and that's what set her off. That and was she, what like, cro- yeah. down. <laughs> she didn't just mow him down; she backed up over him. Yeah, like, she hit him, and then saw that he was still moving, and was like, "Nah," and finished the job. Over him, yeah, she finished him <laughs> off, and then the gum obviously falls out of his mouth, and that's just, it's it's funny because it's like the smallest thing, yeah. You know? Not revenge on because you like took my family, you know, or murdered them. Mm-hmm. It's because you're chewing the gum, and I don't like it. <laughs> and it's just, it's just gross. I just smacking, yeah. <laughs> that's smacking. <laughs> Ultimately, I think it comes down to like it's like rudeness and manners. Yes, for her, mm-hmm. you know, it's manners really because you don't you don't smack your gum in like somebody's house and all that kind of thing. So one of the reasons that we're so obsessed with the witness is because later on there's news footage and they're watching it on the news and she's there and she's just like and it was a blue station wagon and and that's it and that's it but beverly her whole thing she's not just like oh shit they got me she's looking at it and she goes oh look at her hair yeah (laughs) (laughs) and ricky lake does this disgust look like really like again that's what you're focusing on out of all things is her hair (laughs) and of course rosemary is like but don't you drive a blue station yeah and she's like oh no 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 no, yeah don't worry about it (laughs) that scene where rosemary takes the parking spot Oh no, that's Dottie. That's, oh, it's Dottie. And that's why we find oh, out. Sure, that, that's why she's but, le- okay. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what is setting her off to want to harass her and basically call her a pussy face is because she stole her parking her parking space at the grocery store. I mean, that's yeah. fair. Oh yeah, that's very fair. Totally understandable. Yeah. You know, when stuff like that happens and people do that stuff, I'll ju- I'll think to myself like, you will hold that you to should, your grave. You should wrap your car on a telephone pole later on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I say it under my breath, but still. But, I mean, Beverly actually is doing something about it. (laughs) So, all right. So, okay. Oh, so now we have to get to Dottie and uh, Rosemary having their little lunch date. I love they're having their lunch dates and champagne flutes of beer. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. 
I think, yeah, it's so cool that when like Beverly walks in and Rosemary's just like, do you want to be? <laughs> and you're like, these ladies are just drinking beers in the afternoon. They're watching Joan. Yeah. The Joan Rivers talk show. I love that we were just like, I wonder if they filmed just this episode of Joan Rivers. And then when you get to what the episode's about, you're like, oh, yeah. They, <laughs> they, they had to go out and shoot this. Yeah. Because I remember Joan Rivers having more of a, like a celebrity kind of a base talk show. But I think mm-hmm. she had two different shows. She had a nighttime one that was like a late night talk show where she would have, you know, like share and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then she had a daytime one and that's when she would have like the club kids yeah. and like, you know, like my rowdy teenage daughters, you know, pregnant or whatever. Send my teen to boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Basically like Maury before Maury. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, this is when Beverly kind of is taunting Dottie mm-hmm. with like, she's kind of going out there like letting her know, like it's me like dude. Dipping, yeah. She's like <laughs> dipping a toe in the water, like just testing <laughs> the waters a little bit. Are those pussy willows? Dried ones. Aren't they pretty? What did you just say? Pussy willows, Dottie. I love the time of year at Trader Joe's when we carry pussy willows because I always want to say something. <laughs> But it's just like, none of these old brides are going to get any of that. Yeah. And uh, Beverly picks up a Franklin Mint Fabergé egg and just (laughs) drops it on the ground. Shatters it. She's just like, Dottie, why would you do that? Clumsy. (laughs) So rude. Um, But she says, you know, to Rosemary, like, don't worry. There's a whole booth at the swap meet. That has Franklin Mint stuff. So let's just go. We'll just go replace it. And, and of course, Dottie's like trying to plead her case. Like, it's her. Like, it's, it's her. her. <laughs> I heard her voice. And they're not hearing it. They're just no. like, bye. See you later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love how Dottie plays it. She's just like, it's her. Like, she knows it. You know? She knows, but she can't prove it. Yeah. And that's the best part. That's what, you know, Beverly wanted was for her to be in agony and to know that <laughs> it's me, bitch. Like, really just went off of her rocker. Yeah. Totally. So uh, we cut to now we're at the swap meet, this like lovely indoor, you know. Yeah. It does look like a flea market Mm -hmm. at this point, though. Also, Ricky Lake's boyfriend has broken up with her. He he stood her up, Mm -hmm. I think, for this flea market date. Mm -hmm. Right. And so she's like, she's like distraught. Mm -hmm. And um, like any 90s teen would be. It's just in a mood. And yeah. Taking it out on the potential customers, and then like that one sweet lady walks up and she's like, "Oh, I'm just browsing." She goes, "Well, thanks for not buying anything." <laughs> I love <laughs> all rude. That's Pete. If you were to, yeah, that's me. If, if, when if I work at the swap meet, booth. if you were to run a booth at the swap meet, <laughs> so we see Rosemary, who up until this point is, you know, aside from barging into 
someone's house mm-hmm. unannounced. She's, you know, a, a sweet kind of a person, you know, sweet older lady. She's at the Franklin Mint booth and she sees a Fabergé egg and it's got a chip in it and she wants to – she's trying to haggle. and The guy's like, not mm-hmm. haggling. So she fully switches the price tags. This bitch on- switches the price tags <laughs> on these fire poker. <laughs> and also – and I, Yeah. <laughs> and I love that she has to just buy this fire poker. It's like, what are you going to do with this fire poker? Why are you buying Winter's it? Winter's coming up. The guy, yeah, the guy coming, said. Yeah. That's what, exactly. He goes, yeah. mm, we're pricing it that way. But yeah, you know, it'll be cold soon. And she's like, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I, I could be wrong, but it seemed like the tags that she switched wasn't even that big of a deal. I think it was like six. No, it was like a $2. Yeah, I think it was like $6 to $3. But that's how petty and I think, this yeah, character is. I think is. the idea was that she was just going to be petty because he wasn't haggling for that Fabergé egg. Right. I love that. Does Franklin Mint make Fabergé eggs? Like, that's so crazy. It's like a. Co- it seems like it's such a collector's item. In this yeah, movie. I've never <laughs> seen a Fabergé egg in my life. I mean, that real Fabergé eggs are like really expensive. So Franklin Mints would be the like big ones. Reproductions. Yeah, yeah. But even Franklin Mint stuff is pricey, like in the hundreds yeah. of dollars. So I don't know. I feel like the only Franklin Mint stuff that I ever see is like in ads in like OK Magazine or closer. Oh, yeah. For, like, commemorative like plates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so she's, so she gets away with it. She takes the poker. We see that Beverly sold, first of all, the Talking Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> it's it's Minton Box. It's a really cool Pee Wee Herman yeah. doll. But the guy that she's selling it to is, like, this, like, sleazy-looking dude. I don't know. Oh. Slick back hair looks like he's from like New York. Yeah, I said that. He goes, I have sellers in, or buyers in New York that are gonna love this. Yep, and he's got like this leather jacket. He's got slicked back hair. He's like oily. And I'm like, why is he looking so like the sleazeball? But this was right around the time of like scandal. So I don't know if this was supposed to be a little bit extra subversive that it's a Pee Wee Herman doll, mm-hmm. but. Does she not sell it to him for like a hundred and seventy five? Yeah, she gets a pretty good yeah. amount for that Pee Wee Herman doll. Yeah, she like upsells him, and it's like it's basically like she, you know, got this guy and his New York money, and that mm-hmm. was like her big win for the day. Not, you know, telling Dottie that she's the one that's been calling <laughs> her a petty face, but the fact that she sold this doll for way more than it was worth. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So we see Misty's boyfriend, the meathead boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here he is with, with Tracy, Tracy Lords. Lords. Yeah. Tracy Lords, yep. <laughs> um, and she also has a weird fascination with Franklin Mint Fabergé eggs. Yeah, when she gets to the table, she's like, ooh, Franklin Mint. <laughs> like, like baby, please buy it for me. And it's like, ew. <laughs> like, like, what teenage girl is like, yeah, that's the table <laughs> at the flea market. <laughs> that's what I want. Yeah. Then she, like, has him buy her, like, a football card or something. I don't know. This girl's, like, all over the place. She just wants some. That's all she wants. She just wants free gifts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's giving me a little. Who is uh, Joey Buttafuoco's girlfriend? Amy Fisher. She's giving Amy me Fisher. a little Amy Fisher. Yeah. Yeah. Amy yep. Fisher vibes for sure. And I like that. Like you know, when they're together, he's buying her stuff, and then he's like, "Hold on a minute, baby. I got to What does he say? I got to piss, or I got to take? Piss, I got to take yeah. a leak." And she's it's just so disgusted. She's <laughs> yeah. like, "Ew." <laughs> yeah. So okay, Beverly spots him. This mm-hmm. scene in the bathroom. <laughs> the guy making the glory hole in the bathroom, also very John Waters. Just you're just going to yep. casually have a witness making a glory home or a glory horror 
a, a glory hole. A wow. glory hole. Yeah. <laughs> just in this like flea market restroom. Yeah. And it's and weird it, being a child and seeing that and not realizing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just think, oh, he's why writing on the wall. Why is yeah, there a yeah. hole in the bathroom stall? Yeah. Basically. Or that he's just peeping or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um and yeah, he sees her in the stall with the poker. I love that she <laughs> she like stabs him from from behind, like in the back yeah. with this poker. And when she pulls it out, there's fully like his whole like liver. And it's so weird because it's <laughs> she like takes how, out organ. how is that possible? Yeah. <laughs> you do that. Yeah. And, and of she, course she's shaking it around like <laughs> Yeah, she's just like gross. <laughs> and when I love when she goes back to the table and, and Rosemary's just like, Beverly, you've got some doo-doo on your shoe. <laughs> She's like, oh, I hate when that happens. And it's fully just gore. A piece of organ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she says that later on, too, like when they're interviewing her, and she's like, I just reached down to grab my fire poker, and it was just gore. <laughs> gore all over my hands. <laughs> this freaking fire poker. I love poker. this mass love chaos it. that comes oh, from ensues, yeah. the murder in the bathroom. It's like you have that weird like guy come in with the the biggest corn dog I think I've ever seen in my life <laughs> yeah. to like eat the bathroom, fully eating yeah. it in the bathroom. Yeah. That's gross, first of all. Yeah. And then he screams, and it's like an alarm goes off, and yeah. then like uh, like people are basically running. Yeah, and B- Misty's like, "Well, I'm gonna go see what it is," and she runs over there and sees that it's you know the guy that stands her up. So is this immediately when Misty starts? Like, thinking that it's Beverly, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because she ends up, after this scene, going to the video store um, to tell Chip, like, hey, like, I think our mother has gone crazy and she's killing people. (laughs) Yeah, because she puts two and two together that, like, you know, your principal just died. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I get stood up and now he's dead. And everybody's just like, oh, you're crazy. Nobody believes her right off the bat. But then also, which I guess is a key point, too, is that Rosemary... I don't know if she calls the detectives back or they just come back to the area, but they come back to investigate Beverly's blue car because she's like one right. of like a hundred people that have that car. So I think that was also like a starting factor too, um, is that they're starting to piece it together. Like, Oh, your son's, you know, principal is dead. You drive a blue station wagon. Um, and I think that's also kind of a key factor into Misty also adding, you know, the pieces together that she complained to her mother that her juicy, beefy head boyfriend <laughs> broke up with her and then now he's dead. Yeah. And all in the same area because the cops realize that Misty is there because she screams and reacts and they turn around and they're just like, wait, you're here. Your mother's probably here. Mm-hmm. Two and two together. Yeah, totally. Um, at some point, the dad finds all this. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> the memorabilia. Yeah. The, the serial killer memorabilia. The beefcake mm-hmm. signed photo of Richard Speck. I only know Richard Speck because that's a very specific, like, East Coast serial killer poll. I only know Richard Speck from that scene at the end of Female Trouble where Divine says that she blew Richard Speck. I blew Richard Speck. <laughs> His head on, like, a beefcake model. Yeah. Um, so he finds all this stuff and then I think Chip fully just says like, well, you know, Scotty thinks he did it. And then she just kind of disappears, right? Takes off in the car. Um, I think that is a point in the movie. I can't remember how it happens. Yeah. Though. 
Cause they, cause she takes off in the car, and they're like, she's gone, like she's gone. She took the car, and yeah. so they think well, they that, sit down for dinner. Yeah, and um, it's like of course a meatloaf that resembles the liver that <laughs> she basically poked out of this man's body. Yeah. Um, but also I think the reason she left is because they also one assume like Scotty says like yeah it's her in front mm-hmm. of the cops like yeah like he, she's the one that did it, she admitted to it or something like that. Mm-hmm. But she's also going after the two people that caused her husband not to be able to go bird watching with her on that Saturday, which is why she ends up at the swap meet. That's yeah. right. We That's also, why she kills them. All coming back together. All falls we into also, place. We also need to discuss one of my favorite characters in the movie, Mrs. Jensen from the video store. Oh, right. Renting well, Annie. Yeah. Because yeah. that, yeah. that comes after she um, goes to the church. And after she, church. Yeah. When the cops are fully like chasing her. So, yeah. So they think they think that she's going to Scotty's house uh-huh. to kill him. But she's really going to the couple that the guy had a toothache and had to have emergency, you know, dental work done on birdwatching day. Mm-hmm. So. Which they, is also why the cops show up at his office. Mm-hmm. And that's when he goes home and finds all the memorabilia underneath the mattress. Yes. So they burst into Scotty's bedroom and he's just like whacking it to yeah. like Chesty St. Clair. Mm-hmm. 1958. <laughs> yes. And when you look at the TV, it's like this woman with, I mean, they're very large bosoms, but they're like, she's just kind of like, Want like just doing waving, things, like, waving them back and forth. <laughs> yeah, she's just like laying down suntan. Yeah, by she's a pool, and he's doing... just going at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like they, and it's funny because it's a you know it's a movie and it's you know not that explicit. So he's under a blanket, mm-hmm. you know, just going to town. But they like burst in, better, like vibrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there a character like this in A Dirty Shame? That would just keep. That would just always jack off. There, I think there was a character that was just constantly like playing pocket pool, like everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> just like had his hand down his pants, like the entire movie. Barry John Waters. Yeah. Um, we can We kind of skipped over it, but there is a, a a love scene between Sam Waterston and Kathleen Turner. Yeah, and when they're like yeah, humping in the bed. Right <laughs> And it's uh, wild. She, she goes like, "You're not going to go to sleep without saying goodnight to me, are you?" And he goes, <laughs> "Well, with everything going on, you know, I just didn't feel like it was right." And he's like, "She basically is. It's so, <laughs> just, <laughs> it's so weird to describe without you seeing the scene because she goes from being like super like church mouse to like yeah, orange star, yeah." <laughs> And she's like moaning, and he's like, "No, the kids will hear." Like, quiet down, quiet down. And she's just like, "Woo!" Just like moaning she at is, the top of yeah, her lungs. It well, the kids <laughs> actually get, come out of the rooms, and they're standing yeah, in the hallway, like, at each other. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the there is like sex and sexual innuendo, but it's just done in this crazy, like, over the top way. Yeah, you know you know with these because you do get shots of like a topless woman you know when scotty's like in his room like stroking it but mm-hmm. it's not sexy i mean maybe no, maybe to again, somebody that's it is something but... that you could like uh, look if it's a, you know like a nip slip in a movie mm-hmm. or something like that like nowadays no one's gonna react to that but of course it was just like the shock factor of the 90s because yeah. that's when you know, things things were changing so yeah. to speak yes so they cut it in a way that you're not really sure what's going on, but Beverly is actually in the home of this other couple. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, you know, she stabs a woman with a pair of scissors. Or Ro- fabric scissors. Rosemary's scissors. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the husband sees it. There's a chase. And she ends up knocking their air conditioning unit out of yep. the second floor on top of him. And then Beverly just goes home, right? Because they're like, oh, yeah. she wasn't here. So we were wrong after all. She greets him with How her bowl of strawberries. Yeah, a full bowl of strawberries. I was like, who wants dessert? And I'm like, you guys didn't even eat dinner yet. Like, yeah. that liver meatloaf is still sitting on the table, probably. <laughs> Covered in ketchup. And it's funny because, you know, Missy says, she's like, I don't, ever be- I don't know how I could ever believe my mother could be a murderess. And it's like, a murderess. Not a murderess. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just that kind of John Waters dialogue that he's, you know, he yeah. slips in these phrases that are just so dated, but they're, you know, they they're really so well. Yeah. And it, I guess another good scene that we also may have forgotten about mm-hmm. was when they come back that when they come back to investigate the blue car and someone picks up like the premier magazine yes he's missing yeah. and they're like p as in people who should mind their own business <laughs> yeah. and it's like it, that's another just clue to all of this mm-hmm. and that's kind of i think another way that the detectives kind of like piece it together is like oh yes. like you know this is and then she also blames it. She's like, oh, no, look, it's Rosemary's magazine. Like, yep. it's not mine. She's trying to put the blame on everybody else. Their magazines are addressed to Rosemary, but she would just bring them over for probably for the kids to thumb through. And- Premier Magazine. Yeah. I, miss, I miss Premier Magazine. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. That was my jam <laughs> when I was in high school. Yeah. Beverly's oh. like, I don't read those movie magazines. <laughs> I think about horror and gore in them. And we all know that Rosemary wasn't recycling them. So. Oh, no. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it was easy to put the blame on her. I recycle all my magazines. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So then the next day is when we go, they go to church and everybody in town is talking about it. Everybody's staring at them. I always wonder for production, for productions of a movie like this, mm-hmm. do you think there was a lot of work to get that shooting location of the church? Yeah. We're know. filming a John Waters movie and we want to use your church. Your Catholic church. Yeah. yeah. I always yeah. wondered that too. Because we all know that, you know, Baltimore is a primarily, like, Catholic area. Mm-hmm. So it was like, how did you guys get away with that? Like, yeah. I mean, like John Waters is kind of like a local hero. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. John Waters is pro- a he's local been, hero in Baltimore. He's been so. presented with, like, the key of the city. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, <clears throat> so the cops are there. They try to, like, you know, close in on on Beverly, mm-hmm. but they just kind of make a break for it with Chip and Birdie, right? Mm-hmm. They kind of smuggle mm-hmm. her out of, they smuggle her out of, out of the church. They fully steal Scotty's car. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, they are also trying to make sure that it was her because on the way to the church, like one of the dispatchers comes on and is like, yeah, like DNA matches. It's her. Oh, and like the yeah. operator's like, get the bitch. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> you guys are fully invested in this. Yes. The point they're like, yeah, get her. Yeah. The cops are, f- are fully invested. Um, so they steal uh, Scotty's car. They take off from church. At this point, Scotty still thinks that it's her. And he's oh, yeah. very much like keeping his distance, you know. Mm-hmm. And I love what I love. They're all in their church clothes, and Scotty's <laughs> wearing camouflage pants camouflage with like pants. a dress shirt and a tie. Yeah, <laughs> so ninety. Yeah, and and Birdie's got like her cute little like like little dress with a cardigan over it, but she's wearing mm-hmm. like Doc Martens. Yeah, um, still giving us the lesbian vibes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> so, and, how do we end up at the video store? Then? That's where he takes her to hide her out. Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't want to take her back to the house. Yeah, because yeah. he has to open up, so he didn't want to be late for, you know, mm-hmm. the crazy Annie lady to come in. 
And oh, I love this. Like I love this lady. Room. Yeah, he and the back stockroom is also kind of like a hidden room too, because it's yeah. the door is is also a shelf with movies. Yeah. yeah, and this woman comes in to return some movies. Comments on what he has. I think that it's um it's one of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies yeah. that's on. Mm-hmm. Commenting of how like, how can you watch that filth? I hope that you've held my copy of Annie, and I like that. <laughs> This is the type of movie that you can tell just gets under John Waters' skin. Oh, like, yeah. Annie. he's kind of, I mean, he, John Waters is like the king of filth, but it's mm. movies like Annie and Patch Adams that just really <laughs> just piss John Waters off. Just these overly yeah. sentimental movies Fan that movies. just like, yeah. this is the type of movie that John Waters is like grasping his pearls at. Yeah. Of like, how can you watch this? This is like in his eyes, like movies like that are filth. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not anything that he wants to watch. But that's... And she also specifically asked about Ghost Dad. She's like, and do yeah. you have a copy of Ghost Dad still? I love those Bill Cosby <laughs> films. And that's, and that's one of those lines that like has a complete new meaning now that was very ahead of its. I don't know. Maybe oh, yeah. maybe John Waters was like onto something by dropping that into the movie. <laughs> but a, a line that's just very like. It has a whole new meaning now. So so Chip calls her out on not rewinding the tapes that she brings yeah. back. And there's a sign right over his shoulder that says that there's a dollar fee. And he's like, you know, you got to rewind the tapes. And I like that she's just like, I don't want to rewind them. Yeah. <laughs> just well, so defiant. 99 cents for the rewind. And yeah. then I think she had like a late fee for mm-hmm. bringing the cassette back and then the new fee for the actual movie. And then she like, she's like, keep the change, you son of a psycho. Yeah. And that's <laughs> what sets off Beverly. It's not the fact that she doesn't want to be kind and rewind her mm-hmm. tapes. It's because she called her son a psycho. <laughs> and I'm going to go after this bitch now. <laughs> yes. And uh, Beverly sneaks out the back mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, she goes to the, this woman's house. Which, how does she know where she lives? Does she, like, chase her on foot? Does she have, like, yeah. a direct... She, she probably just like, knows yeah. where she lives. Yeah, she's just a neighborhood mom, so she just has, you know... Maybe she just knew this woman. Because the woman knew knew them. Mm-hmm. She knew Chip, and she knew Beverly, so... This scene know. of Mrs. Jensen sitting down to watch Annie <laughs> is out <laughs> of control. And you get, like... Does Mrs. Jensen have, like, a weird fetish thing with her dog licking her toes? Yeah. <laughs> Get them nice and wet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As she's just singing at the top of her lungs to tomorrow. And I love that this was in the budget that we have to clear tomorrow, which yeah. was probably not a cheap song no. at the time. Yeah. And, and they I play the whole damn song. And, and I think it's fully just the opening credits of uh, John Houston's Annie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love when uh, this woman is in her kitchen and she just has. Okay, it's Sunday because they just went to church. Mm-hmm. It's probably fairly early in the morning because church is over. She just. He just opened the video store. She was the first one in there, got her tape, and goes back to her house. So it's Sunday morning. Let's say it's 11 15. Yeah. Full. Full pot roast. The giant yeah, roast. <laughs> yeah. Full pot roast. Potatoes around it. And everything. I mean, it was from last night. Yeah. Sitting on her table. Just sitting out. And she just like carves into it, gets a little couple slices, and then makes herself a little sandwich and sits down to watch Annie and and have her 
dog liquor tone. Sings it, sings tomorrow at the top of her lungs. (laughs) Sounds like a fine Sunday to me. (laughs) Sadly, she would not have a tomorrow. No. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and I love that scene of Beverly that she first grabs the knife and then she goes back. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, like, I've got a better idea. Mm -hmm. The whole like roast. (laughs) So weird because it's like, it's like John Waters made this movie and decided, I'm not going to kill people in a traditional way. I'm going to kill these people in the most weirdest ways that I could possibly find. So, a f- you know, a fire poker to the liver. Yeah. <laughs> a leg of lamb to the head. You yeah. Know, an AC unit. You know, it's <laughs> it's just so funny because she definitely second guesses herself. She's like, mm, no, this will be too messy. But then <laughs> still ends up eating the shit out of her. <laughs> yeah. Getting blood all over the TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chip and Birdie had to use a Rolodex to find her her uh, address because it's yeah, the 1994, and the video store didn't have computers. <laughs> this was not a blockbuster, mm-hmm. so they were <laughs> they were old school. They were flipping through that thing. I mean, I bet that <laughs> yeah, I bet that probably local video stores didn't get computers until way into the just 90s. Like mom and pop stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. Chip and Beverly, or Chip and Beverly, Chip and Birdie see her through the window, or they see the aftermath through the window, but also now Scotty has seen it, and yep. Beverly yep. sees Scotty, and so now a chase ensues. Yep. And, I and love this is kind of Beverly's become, like, unleashed. Yeah. Like, she's not even trying to be discreet. No, she is in public Uh-oh. chasing people with a knife in her hand. And fully carjacks a van mm-hmm. at yep. knife point. <laughs> Get out of the van! <laughs> um, I love this club that they end up at. Oh. Yeah. This, like, rock club. I'm sure that this is, like, a... This is probably a well-known band. I don't oh, know it's, who it's it is. Oh, it's L7. Okay. It's yeah. L7. Um, but they are... They are... In the movie, they're the Camel Lips. Yep. Which... We all know. <laughs> yeah. Which I feel like... I mean, I don't know. I, I always hear it as Camel Toe. Yeah, I don't think Camel Lips ever quite caught on, but this mm-hmm. was very early in that being a thing. I don't think it really had a name before that. Um, so I guess the writers just went with Camel Lips, and then Camel Toe just like exploded right afterwards. I was I read on IMDb <laughs> that the the woman that's crowd surfing is Hatchet Face. You know, from, yeah, I, I, see, I saw her, and I was like, "Is that Hatchet Face? I can't tell. It kind of looks like her." L7 was a very uh, popular kind of like grunge all-girl band from the 90s um, on like sub pop, you know, out of Seattle. And they had the song Pretend We're Dead. That's a really good song. Um, They're actually really good. L7 is like – Legit. Yeah, that album's awesome. Um, But they're they're the Camelips. And I love in movies of this time, there's always crowd surfing. Mm -hmm. Always. You know? And, like, our main characters always end up being, you know... Uh, Tossed around. (laughs) Yeah, I feel Sam Waterston is, is, you know, on there. Uh, Scotty's up there. (laughs) Like, everybody's crowd surfing in this movie. This is brutal. She fully... The lights fall on him. Yeah, she knocks down the, the like stage lights onto him, which should have killed him. Yeah, but it doesn't for yeah. some reason. And instead he meets, you know, his demise a very fiery way. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess in turn you could also equate to what would have happened if he got into a car accident and wasn't wearing his seatbelt. <clears throat> True. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. 
<laughs> yeah, he could have just gone through the windshield or the car just burned up around him in a fiery, you know, inferno. Yeah. <laughs> so she was just <laughs> giving him she what... was a PSA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so is this, this is where she actually gets arrested. Yeah. Yeah. At the concert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, she kills Scotty and just basically rocks out into the crowd and is like, it's great. This is a great Sunday. And they come in and arrest her. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like the courtroom drama. It's interesting that portion this of the movie. kind of, this movie came out in 1994, which was a big true crime year. Cause this is the yeah. year of the OJ case Ooh. and just sort of court TV as yeah. cable entertainment. That was a big deal at yeah. the time. Yeah. It's probably around like the Menendez brothers and all that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very interesting. High profile court cases, kind of early into fascination with the public with serial killers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. now it's like a big joke of just like when I go missing, I hope that I hope that a couple of middle-aged women find it's out who did it on their yeah. podcast. <laughs> and if you think about it too, it's kind of like if you know, if this movie was made now, would Beverly be seen as a weirdo for having all of that murder memorabilia right. underneath her mattress? Exactly. It's like, it's so it's so accepted now. I don't know a single person who doesn't say like, oh, my God, I love murder mystery. And mm-hmm. it's not looked at weird like it was before. Every yeah. single streaming platform has yeah. their serial killer documentary series. Yeah. So it's like I feel like. Waters obviously knew what he was doing back in the yeah. day because he's like, oh, this will, this is a thing now, but in the future, people will normalize this. So it won't ever be a thing that people are weirded out by or anything like that. Yeah, totally. And um, so, so we're at her trial, and Beverly immediately fires her lawyer yep. and decides to. The family to, lawyer. Yeah, yep. family lawyer. Because he goes in right off the bat, day one, first thing out of his mouth, she's insane. Yep. She's not guilty by reason of insanity. And she's just like, nope, no, no, no. Uh, I did that, it. Yeah. <laughs> credit for it. Beverly can manipulate her way out of this. Yes. Oh, yeah. And um, she decides to represent herself. And the judge is just like, I don't think you should, but I have Whatever. to let you. Yeah. I have to let you if yeah. that's, that's your choice. Um, right off the bat, Beverly catches eyes with a couple of jurors. One of them is Patty Hearst. One of them is Patty Hearst, who is wearing mm-hmm. white, white shoes, shoes after shoes Labor Day. After Labor Day. <laughs> and that was her big thing in the intro. Like, during that court scene was mm-hmm. she was wearing white shoes after Labor Day. And she didn't want her to be on the jury because she didn't trust her. <laughs> she yeah. was doing everything she could to get her off. She was trying that. to... Yeah, she was trying to get the her lawyer at the time to like look at her notes. He was interrupting his like opening statements to yep. say that this woman is wearing white shoes after Labor Day. And then there's another juror that she's just like getting his attention to kind of like wipe his face. She's like, "Oh, you have something on your face," and like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's not paying attention to the opening statements. He's looking at her, going, "Oh, he's wiping his face now." So she's getting in people's heads. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that's what she knows how to do, as she's shown us throughout this movie. Yeah. She gets the garbage men to do her a solid that mm-hmm. they go through the, One of the, the detective. Tec- yeah. His the trash. detective's trash. Yep. Chicks with dicks. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Chicks with dicks magazine. Yeah. She's just kind of discrediting saying like, mm-hmm. whoa, well, you found, 
you know, serial killer memorabilia in my room, but look what we found. It's all just circumstantial. Yeah. Yeah. So don't judge somebody by what you find in their garbage. And, you know, she bring, they bring on Dottie Hinkle to be like the star witness of like, oh, well, she, she comes in. Yeah. And her mink stole. And just, <laughs> she just looks like she's ready to fuck up her life. Yeah. But Beverly, you know, she's a couple steps ahead. Mm-hmm. And she knows how to get in her head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she gets, you know, she gets Dottie to just burst out with profanities in the middle of court Mm -hmm. and calls her a cocksucker and a pussy face and all that. You cocksucker. Did you just see her? She called me a bitch. We're sitting here like she didn't do anything. (laughs) Yeah, no one in court saw Beverly like mouthing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. This is when we see that Suzanne Summers is interested in playing Beverly in the And also the Chip movie. is sort of acting as her agent. Agent. That's yeah, booking that's her Geraldo appearances, securing the made for TV rights. He gets yeah. Suzanne on board and she shows up at the courtroom. I love this version of Suzanne Summers. Oh my I God. love her t shirt. What does her t shirt say? It says Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. Yeah. As if like a rich woman is just gonna wear a bev- like a t shirt that just says like right. Beverly Hills in like script. And she's wearing a fur coat, Beverly Hills on the t-shirt, and, like, a black cowboy hat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what is this look? It's just so, like, 90s Hollywood snob. And she just interrupts everything, just, like, walks in in the middle of proceedings, just, like, walking. And everyone is just like, that's Suzanne Summers. And the the judge is like, I loved you on Three's Company. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... You know, so Chip is becoming this like Hollywood like agent for Beverly, but Birdie is very much like kind of changing her tune too. Birdie's yeah. becoming very like anti violence because she mm-hmm. saw the blood when the gore. yeah, the gore when Dottie killed Mrs. Jensen. So Birdie is like a changed girl now. Yeah. You know, she, I mean, she even admitted, she goes, you know, it's not red, like in the movies, it's Brown. Yeah. Like, this is real life. This isn't made up. And yeah. I never really, you know, added that together that she was changing her tune, mm-hmm. that she wanted peace and love in the world now. And it wasn't always about the gore. I never didn't even think about that until just now. Yeah. She's reading a book at one point and it's like Gandhi or something. Yeah. <laughs> Like later on in the in the courtroom scenes, yeah. and you're like, okay, what's going on with her with her character? She even kind of her clothes are like a little bit more dark. Like, yeah, yeah. Birdie's Birdie's character's changing because she was so like traumatized by that. Mm-hmm. By this that is where scene. she also be, you know goes to college and becomes a lesbian. Basically, yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she goes goth from here on yep. out. Yeah, <laughs> or emo, whatever it would have been in you know '96 or whatever <laughs> by the time she got there. So it turns out that Beverly is actually doing a really good job representing herself. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, she ultimately is acquitted of all charges yep. by the jury. Was, was it Ted Bundy that represented himself? Yes. I think so, yeah. In sure. one of his, I think in one of his trials. He and I think she himself. references that, too. She's like, mm-hmm. well, if Ted Bundy can do it, I can yeah. do it. And <laughs> also, when there was audio of Ted Bundy, it is John Waters. In yeah. The audio. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hey, Beverly, it's me, Ted, on death row. <laughs> Just wanted to let you know I've been so grateful for you. Oh, my goodness. So she gets off. She's acquitted. She's like, what, you know, walking out of the courtroom. Suzanne Summers is just like, let's get some pictures. But before this, she sees she, the juror. 
with the white <laughs> shoes. And she's like, honey, hold my coat. I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. I love Patty Hearst's lines, like her reaction to it. She's yeah. just like, fashion has changed. <laughs> she's heard this before. No, she's, oh, yeah. She, she has probably had a fight. You know, her way to keep her white shoes after Labor Day for a long time. So she has this rehearsed to the point where she's not going to get murdered for it until now. Yeah, totally. But I love that, like, you know, you see that it's Beverly Sutphin. She, like, grabs the phone out of your hand and you're not just like, what are you doing? Don't kill me. She's just, yeah. like, she's defending. Pleading her case. She's pleading her case of, of mm-hmm. bad fashion, I guess. And I never really understood why you couldn't wear white after Labor Day. Yeah, I've never got that either. I, and also, when can you when can you where, start again? When does it reset? So I think the deal is that Labor Day is in September because it was always mm-hmm. when school would start back up, right? I guess that white is sort of a summer color. It's a spring yeah, or a yeah. summer color. And if you're going into the autumn, really, you should start wearing more autumn colors and darker mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe you don't wear white until, again, until the new year. Until I mean, spring? I would think spring. Yeah. Spring, yeah. I was just, I always followed the rule of, like, fall back, spring forward. Yeah. So, like, at one point, you know, it's completely like, okay, you know, fall Start forward, again, no yeah. more white shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and then spring forward, okay, great, I can wear my white, you yeah. know, kitten heels. My, yeah. <laughs> my white patent leather loafers. Your, your white cha-cha heels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she proceeds to beat this woman with... The telephone, the payphone, yep, <laughs> handset and walks away like nothing happened, and then yeah. her friend on the jury finds her dead. <laughs> yes, yeah, the friend. <laughs> but I love when Suzanne Summers is like, "Oh, let's get a photo," and she switches sides with her really quickly. Yeah, and she's just like, "All right, let's let's get in." And Beverly's just like, "Suzanne Summers, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is my bad side." <laughs> and then that's when you hear the scream coming yeah. from the friend who found her dead friend in the payphone. Yeah. And Suzanne Summers kind of plays it just like she looks at Beverly and she's yeah. like, oh, shit. Holy shit. You did yeah. do it. <laughs> and then we get the freeze frame on like on her face. I think that's the main image on the Peacock app from- that we watched it on. Mm-hmm. Update, Patty Hearst is in A Dirty Shame. She is in A Dirty it Shame. It is in her most known for, oh, wow. for A Dirty Shame. Do you know what? I love it's interesting because Patty Hearst IMDb. It's like Biodome, Crybaby, Serial Mom, and A Dirty Shame. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, she didn't win an Oscar for any of this. Right? Uh, scandal. And it's I, also weird to think that I never, again, I probably didn't deep dive as much as I should have, but did not realize that Patty Hearst is like the heiress that was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Like, I've always heard of that name, but didn't connect it until obviously doing this. So it's yeah. like, it's so weird that she went from, you know, being a kidnap victim to having Stockholm syndrome to basically being <laughs> amused for John Waters. In yeah, a sense. totally. Um, I love this movie's use of this idea that this is based on real events. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All of the, it, well, it's almost like we're watching the movie of based on serial mom. Yeah. Like these yeah. are, these are the actors portraying, the events mm-hmm. that the movie is based on. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, it would be basically like us, like if Suzanne Summers was playing the lead <laughs> role of yeah. Beverly Sutton, but yes. not really her playing it. In yeah. sense. Um, that last shot of Beverly where she's just kind of like smiling this very evil kind of like look in her face uh, is where we get it. The last like little uh, subtitles. And it says, Beverly Sutphin did not cooperate in the making of this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you know, and throughout we get like time of day and day of the week and all yeah, that, so we can keep track uh, of the timeline of of the yeah, of the events, events as they as they unfolded. Yeah, and it's weird because I'm pretty sure like the killings happen on like Memorial Day weekend, so it's like why were all these people at home and not like off celebrating? Yeah. <laughs> At totally. the Redneck Riviera, you know, on the wrong <laughs> side of the tracks. Yeah. Um, I mean, Beverly as a character is very interesting because, yeah, while she is, you know, a murderess mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, probably a, a sociopath and a, all of that. But, you know, she has her family's best interests at heart. Yeah. You know, she has a very good moral compass that yeah. all of her victims do kind of <laughs> seem like shitty people when it comes down to it. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's, she could have killed, you know, Rosemary Ackerman. She probably would have because she would have been saving the planet. For yeah, exactly. And it's like, why didn't she just go and actually kill Dottie? But she's like, it's almost like worse. She's like tormenting her, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like why kill her when I can make her, you know, mental state yeah you know fall apart more than anything yeah exactly or maybe that that was like the intro to it and then as that was building she's just like okay well the next one i'm not gonna you know i'm just gonna straight up kill this guy yeah so yeah very interesting character but kathleen turner plays it really well yeah she looks amazing Mm -hmm. like she looks oh yeah (laughs) yeah i mean kathleen turner also just ruled the 1980s that she was in some iconic roles yeah. Like Romancing the Stone. Yeah. Peggy Sue Got Married. Body oh, yeah. Heat. Yeah. And she, you know, in the 80s, she was known as this, like, sex symbol. So now that it's the 90s and, you know, she's reaching a certain age or whatever and she's playing a mother. But it's still she's playing a character that, I don't know, it's, yeah, there's, I, there's just not a lot of roles like that out there for mm-hmm. for women. And, and it's so good. And, and I love that she was just game for this movie. Yeah. Yeah, like what? Like what were the you know like the negotiations like in her contract? Like, did she read the script and she's like, "Yeah, I'll do it," yeah. without hesitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's some things you know, some things that go on that yeah, probably some other actors would have kind of you know had some issues with or wanted to change around or whatever. But yeah, she she was there, she was game, and all that dialogue and you know the pussy face and cocksucker residence and <laughs> <laughs> I mean the 1994 best actress Oscar year is a famously weird year. <laughs> All I'm saying is that Kathleen could've... Turner could have cracked that category. <laughs> oh yeah. If they would have if voters would have been a little more open-minded. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh there's something about the dialogue in this movie and I mean obviously what sticks out are the obscene phone calls and people to this day are quoting those. You know, you oh, yeah. you hear people you know, say that the cocksucker residents and pussy willows and all of that, like mm-hmm. all the time. But I, I do that with my brother. Um, <laughs> he'll like, he'll come to visit and I'll see a tree and I'm like, are those pussy willows? <laughs> and he, and it's a movie that we maybe have watched twice growing up. And it's something that we, like you said, can still quote to this day. And I feel like we will continue to quote <laughs> moving forward. I mean, and I think that's any movie that, I mean, obviously for a lot of us gay folk, it's mm-hmm. going to be the movies that we can quote nonstop that we yeah. love the most. Yeah. And yeah, there's just something about, 
a character that's, you know, a woman, a wife, a mother, that she's saying these things that just make it that much more fun for us yeah. as the viewers to watch, you know, for her to say, you know, if it's if it's a man calling somebody and making obscene phone calls, yeah. there's one ask, you know, there's one thing to it. And even if he was saying the exact same thing, it'd be like, oh, that's funny. But giving a, a woman this, these these lines in this dialogue it's it's just funny there's just something better <laughs> yeah. about a june cleaver yeah. Yeah, prank phone same. calling her neighbors about thing. pussy willows <laughs> yeah absolutely um so yeah for for those reasons and many more this this movie contributed to our <laughs> homosexuality <laughs> and we mentioned and i mentioned it before but i mean john waters was on to something about America's fascination with true crime and serial killers that it's yeah. just sort of old hat and kind of basic now that like of course everyone's obsessed with like like the Ted Bundy tapes or the everyone watched the Night Stalker documentary on Netflix. Oh, loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't something it wasn't something that you saw in mainstream movies at at that yeah, time. if you were yeah. into it, it was like, oh, what's wrong with you? Why are you like so obsessed right. with you know with murder and all that? But yeah, and like you we were saying before, you know, people having it, and it's kind of like a, a thing or a trope now that like gay men are just really obsessed with horror movies. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and you know, even in the you know in the eighties and nineties, it was just like, oh, well, that's like they were for for kids or for or for perverts or for whatever you know if you were into that it's like why are you so into you know death and murder but it's just a thing now there's like you can buy t-shirts on instagram of like you know right your favorite like horror icon oh yeah and it it's because i you know growing up i used to hate horror movies so it's so mm-hmm. funny to like grow up more and to love them as much as i do now yeah um and Again, that's one of the reasons I started listening to the podcast because <laughs> Mike did Sleepaway Camp. And yeah. me and my brother, we have a very weird fascination with 80s cheesy B movies. And he's not a homosexual, though, <laughs> which is ironic. Yeah, but that's OK. It, we'll forgive it, him. It just, yeah, <laughs> it's just funny, though, because it's like it has become one of those things where it's like it's just a hobby now. And, we, yeah. you know, we love them and. You know, maybe that's why we are all kind of demented in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I love it, though. I'd, I'd rather have, like, interesting tastes than just, you know, boring, you know, lifetime movies. And John Waters' movies yeah. continually be sort of a rite of passage Yeah, for people. I just gave a coworker of mine that's getting into older movies. I just lent her Pink Flamingos to watch. Yeah, I have to say... Um, the older movies, if you're not familiar with them, they can be they can be a little kooky. Um, yeah, and he's talked about too. You know, he did have a weird kind of like obsession with the um, the Manson the followers. Manson family. He became you know. pretty tight with uh, Squeaky. <laughs> yeah, and he went to like I think that he was in the courtroom in the trials when they were yelling at the cops. Yeah. And he's talked about like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have been that, you know, <laughs> sympathetic with with some of these characters at the time. But I was young, and, and he also he was said, trying to be he was trying to be uh, outrageous, you know. He was trying yeah. to be you know over the top, and you and know, he also said making movies with that crew sort of helped him from falling in with the Manson followers. That if he wouldn't have been making movies, he probably would have ended up 
just like them, <laughs> but just sort of making yeah. these weird movies just kind of saved him. Yeah. But but definitely John Waters movies kind of, uh, you know, they he employed queer people, you know, he gave queer people uh, a voice and a platform and he showed them in these movies that made their way around, you know, national attention at a time when that wasn't being done. So, mm-hmm. you know, definitely kids out there listening, if you if you haven't watched them, you should definitely pick them up and and see what they're about. They're they're. Oh, they're a little kooky. <laughs> they some the older ones sometimes go down better when you listen to them with the commentary too. Yeah, that when you get a hold of multiple maniacs, it goes down a little easier when you have John talking about the movie mm-hmm. on the commentary. Yeah, but you know, it's just it's his movies are a place for you know weirdos and outcasts and you know freaky people, and he. He's often referred to as like, you know, trash cinema and the king of trash and filth mm-hmm. and all that. But I mean, at the time, that was really people didn't have a vocabulary for it. So it was called trash. But now it's just outsiders, you know. And right. I think, you know, we can all kind of identify with being an outsider. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In our own way. You oh, know? Absolutely. And I mean, if you look at Hairspray, that's basically the best, you know, metaphor. Yeah. Or it was that, you know, Tracy was seen as an outsider because mm-hmm. she didn't grow up in, you know, the luxurious townhomes of, yeah. you know, Baltimore. And she was against segregation and everything like that. So, mm-hmm. And she was overweight, you know, just and different just, yeah. different things. It's like she, she didn't fit into hair. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Kennedy rats her hair. <laughs> <laughs> You're a hair hopper. Um <laughs> Now I'm going to go listen to it again. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, John Waters movies, definitely. It's like they're – even if they're a little too much for you, just give give them a chance, I think, you know, listeners out there. And uh, you you might see what we're talking about. But but, um, Serial Mom right now is available on on Peacock Peacock app for free with commercials, but at least you can watch it. So you should go check it out. We definitely recommend – Watching it if you haven't seen it. Well, we do. Uh, we'll do more of his movies on our podcast. Oh, of course. Too. I'd love to get to stuff like polyester and female trouble. Yes, definitely, definitely. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts on on Serial Mom that you'd like uh, to say to the listeners before we uh, wrap it up here? Uh, no, I would just say definitely give it you know a go. It's like I said, it's one of the movies that I watched when I was younger that I probably shouldn't have been watching, <laughs> but. Had that not happened, I wouldn't be here today doing a <laughs> review on it and everything. But I mean, yeah. it, it's definitely a great movie. It you know is a bit kooky, but you know I think it could still hold a place and you know as it being a cult classic for sure. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, I know. I loved it, and like you said, it literally flew by. I feel like we haven't been doing it. For that yeah, long. totally. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's been a ninety minutes. Will go by in a snap. But, um, yeah, yeah. thank you so much. It's time to uh, bid you adieu. So until next time, we'd love to have you on the show again. But until next time. We'll do it again. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah, I have a few movies in mind, so definitely let me know. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Ricky. All right, man. We will. Bye. Bye. See you soon. (laughs) And thank you so much for listening, everybody. This was another fun one. Mm-hmm. Yay. Crazy we're 
we mentioned it at the top of the show, but coming up on episode 100 in just a yes, few indeed. weeks. Indeed, yes, that's indeed. crazy. Yeah, yeah, that is crazy. I and can't we, believe it. And we normally take a break, but we just went right through. Yeah, I mean, we took a little. Year. We took a little break. Uh, the first new year to uh, switch up to season two. So now, hey, it'll be season three all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and you won't even know it. But um, it is time to uh, give some shout outs, say hello to our Patreon supporters. We have a brand new patron. Yay! Yay! Thank you so much, Muffy. Thank you so much for being a friend and following us on Patreon. Uh, you're going to get some really cool stuff for following us. We'll send you out some newsletters that have already been published so you can read our awesome, hilarious newsletters. I was going to do our Patreon postcards in oh, the next yes. few days, too, so Patreon i got to send those out. Yes, uh, we have to send one to the last patron before Muffy, and so uh, Muffy will be hitting you up for your address so you can get your postcard. But we'd also like to say hello to everybody else, including Paul, Jamie, Drew, Jimmy, Genevieve, Don, Josh, Aaron, Lyndon, Jim, Jessica, John, Nick, Christine, Rufino, Emma, Melly. Thank you for being a Thank friend. Thank you so much. Everybody, if you would like to head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Moves That Made Us Gay, you can see all of the fun additional content that we have on there, like our Watch With Us commentary tracks. We just did Can't Hardly Wait. Yes, indeed. I think we have seven commentary tracks right now. We're going to be adding another one very, very, very soon so that you can pull up the movie on your DVD, Netflix, whatever streaming platform it's on. You'll hear some beeps. We'll tell you when to press play. When you press play in the movie, we start blabbing. And we give you a little commentary track to go along with the movie. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're watching it with us. Very fun. That's at the $10 level. You got a new commentary track a month. Um, let's see what else you can also get our newsletter and you can also get a postcard from us and a shout out every week. So head on over to patreon.com, check it out and, uh, give us a follow. Thank you so much for doing that. We'd also love it if you would rate and review us on Apple podcasts. Give us five stars. Yes, please. We've got with those Apple algorithms. Yes. It helps for the show to, uh, make its way around out there in the internet universe. We got some new five star ratings recently. We now are up to 57 five star ratings. We don't have any ratings under five stars. How about that? No four stars, no three, no one star reviews. Thank you very much. We'd also love it. If you write a review, we'll actually read any reviews Mm -hmm. that get written. We'll read any of those on the air. On uh, the next episode. So head on over and write us a f- good, fun review. Thank you so much for doing that. You can follow the show on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Movies That Made Us Gay. And on Twitter at Pod. Yes, indeed. I am Pete and I am on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Lasagna. I'm Scott Youngballer on Instagram, Oscar Scott on Twitter, and just Scott Youngbauer on Letterboxd. Oh, yeah. I'm on Letterboxd as well. I just jumped on. Finally got you to sign up on it. I'll sign up on it, and I did. And my handle on Letterboxd is... That's a picture of me. I think it's Peterific. Like Pete and then Terrific. Yeah. Let's just say it's that. If not, I'll post it. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. This was a great show. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.